Hey everybody, I'm Mike McDonald. My buddy Jesse Stratton loves some of the cheesiest movies ever made. He spent years telling me about them all, so now I'm finally watching these movies for the very first time. This is our podcast where we break those movies down together. This is the Celluloid Dumpster Fire. All right. How was your camping trip? Uh, it was pretty good. I got a little bit of sun. Uh, I got ate up by bugs mostly. Not cool. Uh, <laughs> I, got, I, I got attacked by a snake. Got attacked by raccoons. What did you but, do uh, to the raccoons? It, we were on an island. And our island was right next to this other island called Raccoon Island. And these raccoons, they're like savages. They get in like canoes at night and go out <laughs> to other islands. And just steal your food, and they steal your stuff, like you know, <laughs> headlamps and shit. These things are vicious because there should be a warning: don't mess with raccoons. They don't play around. <laughs> That's awesome, hey everybody. Welcome back. Today we are talking about 1991, almost didn't make it direct to video action film, Samurai Cop. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, yeah, this film gained a cult following after um, a clip that was dubbed the horny nurse scene started circulating on the Internet. Thanks a lot, YouTube. I love YouTube. Uh, just for that reason. <laughs> My shit. <laughs> As they had almost didn't make it direct to video. This movie sat in a vault for decades before yeah. somebody stumbled across it accidentally and said, hey, what's this? And instead of saying, put that down and walk away, they said, I don't know. Let's let's watch it and see. Uh, there's a lot of movies from like this like era in time that are like that. They're have gained massive, and I mean massive, cult following. It's this, like uh, Troll 2, Miami Connection, like just like some weirdly really crap movies that were snuffed out of existence, like completely taken away, somehow yeah. trickled through, got put on YouTube, and then a bunch of nerds just started just like worshiping them at like Mighty Python or something. And I'm I'm one of those guys. Yeah. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and by the way, if you haven't noticed listening to the fucking podcast, but uh <laughs> yeah, man, when this when, I, when the clips it's the horny nurse and there was another one and it, it was the it was the fight scene, and I, I, you know which one I'm talking about. Those two got on there, and bam! It's like like you said, rest history. They found it yeah. in a vault. Uh, there was like a, a like a fucking creepy pasta where it was like in a, in a wall in a castle somewhere, and like someone found it, you know, and shit. And uh, yeah, this is it's classic. Yeah, like there was the there was a rumor that the the original print of this was found in a castle, in a vault in a castle. But what it actually turns out is the guy who owned uh, Cinema Epoch Films has a vault that is specifically built for preserving film. Yeah, and, and it's uh, at his it's studio it. offices, and and that's where it, it that's where they found it. In fact, that studio is in the movie. Yeah, there's a shootout scene that that takes place there or something, and yeah, you'll 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 see that in there. Movie is unrated. If it was rated, it would be R for boobs and language. You get to see yeah. seven boobs in this movie. 
that's um, an uneven amount of boob. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, the movie runs an hour and 36 minutes and has no critic score on Rotten Tomatoes, but it does have a 47% audience rating. That's higher than I thought it would be. Even for a cult film, this movie, after watching it, that rating is higher than I thought it would be. This is one of those movies that has a so bad it's good cult following. Yeah. I mean, I can see that in some parts, but for the most of the movie, it's just bad. What this is, this is uh, you have a um, Iranian guy that got some money. All right. This guy, he owns like movie theaters in Iran and stuff. And he came to America. All right. And uh, he he made uh, three movies, right? And all three of them were like his version of American action blockbusters. And this this one's like Lethal Weapon. I can and see that. So it's you gotta think of it as someone who sees American culture is like, yeah, that's the ticket. And not with a Hollywood budget, but with like with some money. I'm not saying he didn't put any money in this, but like and limited know how like motion pictures. He made like this movie. And because of it's like an outsider looking in, I think that's why this is like a so so bad it's good. Yeah, because like he's like looked at this as like yeah, that's exactly what like Mel Gibson does, you know. And, and this is yeah, this is how this works, you know. Right. And so and he took he Mel Gibson's he took Mel Gibson's giant '80s hair and tried to tried to do something very similar with with this with the main character here also. I, it's like. He wants to do Lethal Weapon, but it comes off kind of cheesy, like it's uh, a Little Rascal's rendition of Lethal Weapon. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, if there's there's like this shit that they try to pass off as common in this movie. It's like they're like literally winking into the camera. Yeah, it's horrible. It's great. Um, it's tough. Writer-director Amir Shervan, you know, he, he came to Pasadena in 1949. To study theater, not to go to film school, but to study theater. I think he got he, he came to California. He watched movies. He saw some plays. He went back to Tehran. Yeah. And he made some movies in Tehran. Now, in Tehran, according to some of the stuff I read, uh, there's not much in the way uh, or there at least there wasn't in the 60s and 70s much in the way of film education. And so the people making films were the people who could hire a film crew, whether they knew how to make a movie or not. So Iranian audiences were definitely accustomed to really low production value, and this guy fit right in. He did, however, convince a Polish distributor to give this a VHS release in Europe. Yeah. It was released on DVD by Media Blasters in 04. In 2016, it was released to video on demand by Rift Tracks. That's a great Rift, Rift Tracks. Yeah, Rift Tracks version gave it a, a two-day theatrical release because why the hell not? And the DVD version of this movie includes comedy commentary by Joe Bob Briggs. Hey, sign me up, right? Absolutely. Big fans of Joe Bob. Oh man, I've been watching him since like the 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 movie channel, like way back in the day. The the drive-in. Oh man, uh, drive-in when he was on the movie. Watching channel. him on TV at TBS on Monster Vision. 
Oh, TNT Monster Vision, yeah. Oh, I love yeah. that shit. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I've been watching it for a long time. This movie is described by Ain't It Cool News as one of the worst films ever released to market. Jim Vorrell wrote that it looks like the kind of film aliens would have made if they were lacking some sort of crucial understanding of how human beings communicate. <laughs> <laughs> and Greg Hadanaka, who owns Cinema Epoch, wrote and directed a sequel to this that was released in 2015. Yeah, they, uh, there was like this whole fucking like online fucking movement trying to get this movie made because someone like did a, a, a story on it and it was like, yeah, that the, the samurai cops did. And then uh, him and his daughter released a video to YouTube. It's like, hey, I'm not dead, asshole. And yeah, he wasn't dead. Sudden, he, he was just in prison. No, nah, he wasn't in prison. Nothing. He was just like this guy that's like living his best life, traveling yeah, and we'll, shit. We'll... We'll get to that, but I've got some information there for you. Oh, really? You did the deep dive? I did. Oh, God. <laughs> All right. That sequel, I've seen it. It They tried to do the same thing, but it was it was, it was was like too tongue-in-cheek. Like, they knew they were going to make a bad movie. Yeah. And like I said, like, I don't know, like an FDR, like, when you try to, like, step on right. the gas and do it, it's not going to come out the same. It's like. You still get that weird kind of movie thing, but it's like, I don't know, it's sour, you know? Yeah, it just hits, it's too on the nose. Yeah. Movie was written, directed, and co-edited by Armin, uh, by Amir Shervan, an Iranian filmmaker. Uh, like I said, he came to Pasadena in the 40s to study film, went back to Iran where he worked as a writer, actor, and director. He came to the he came back to the US in 1980 after the Islamic Revolution because well the Islamic Revolution put a stop to making films that were not approved by the religious leadership and didn't actively promote the Islamic Revolution. This was his last film and it would not gain a cult following until about a year after he died in 2006. Movie stars Matthew Caratus, he is billed as Matt Matthew Hannon, Matt Hannon, yeah. as Joe Marshall. He is known for this film, Samurai Cop 2, and Pandemonic. He was also Sylvester Stallone's bodyguard for a while, and he saw how, how cool it was to be famous like Rambo, and decided <laughs> he wanted to be an action star too. So he made a couple movies, and it was pretty clear he wasn't going to be successful as an actor. In 92, he took part, along with the stunt coordinator for this movie, in an armed robbery to steal a Rembrandt painting from Gene Scott's University Cathedral in Los Angeles. Uh, he was later arrested and sentenced to, sent to prison for stealing the painting. That's why this guy disappeared. Oh, <laughs> I want to see that movie. That would be a decent movie. That would make Let's a good see... like uh, Netflix series or something. Right, right. Make a Netflix documentary, kind of a crappy version of Making a Murderer. Yeah. Um, we do a story about a bodyguard who wants to be an actor and ends up a, 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 a crook. A, I don't know. I can burglar. see like a... Like a Pam and Tommy kind of like biopic thing. Yeah. Like was just like a down and like uh, action movie stuntman that like, uh, yeah, you know what? 
you know, I'll rob that bank. <laughs> Robert Zadar as Yamashita, known oh, primarily man. for his massive jaw. I love Robert Zadar. Everybody like, hey, it's that weird guy from uh, Tango and Cash that looks like a you know, family guy drawing or some shit. Yeah, he's got like this massive jaw. Uh, yeah, he's he got the quagmire so, jaw. He was in Soul Taker, which is yeah. like this really crappy 80s movie that was on Mystery Science Theater that I love. Uh, also, this uh, just mind-melting, crappy child movie called uh, Pocket Ninjas, which yep. is like, uh, oh man, it, it, that thing is horrible. And he was in, um, shit man, I want to say Sam Hell 2. You know, that movie uh, with Roddy Piper, Sam Hell comes to Frog right. Town. Yeah. They made a couple of sequels and he played Sam Hell in the second one. Oh, geez. and it was, it was like more like Flash Gordon. It was really campy. It right. was not cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's primarily what he did. He, he worked in low budget B movies. He also appeared in Night Stalker, like you said, Tango and Cash, Maniac Cop, and Maniac Cop 3. Oh, yeah. Those and are great. Outside of the movies, he also worked as a jingle writer, a Chicago police officer, and briefly, he was a Chippendales dancer. That's far out. That's weird. He also, yes, there for a little bit, like in, I want to say, the very early 90s, he had a small gig. He uh, he hosted cartoons on some channel, like a, like a Saturday morning thing, where it, it, it would like be a couple of little cartoons, and he would do like segments. And oh, it was nice. Like, Captain Cartoon or some shit. I want to say it was like for WGN or some kind of like weird local thing. Right. But yeah, go, going from Chippendale's dancer to cartoon host. <laughs> that's, that's the gambit. That's the full spectrum. He's a jack of all trades, literally. Yeah, exactly. And then he died of a heart attack in 2015. Yeah. Mark Frazier is Frank Washington. He had a very short career in Hollywood. Uh, he looks familiar on screen, but yeah, he appeared in both of the Samurai Cop films, an episode of Hunter, and an episode of Lois and Clark, and that's about it. My, He's my favorite uh, reaction gift guy. Oh my god, yeah. I use that guy so much, and like a lot of people don't know where it's from, you know, they're like, ah, what? <laughs> Why is this weird uh, smiling black guy looking at me like a Cheshire cat? And he's smiling, and then he's like making an O face. And I, <laughs> I don't get this, Jesse. What is this? And like, you know, I've seen the movie. I get it. But yeah, yeah. no, the guy's class. He should, he's like in internet history, meme lore. The guy's great. And all of his reaction shots in this are against the same blank wall uh, because after the filming was done and everybody was gone. Uh, Amir Shervan just brought everybody back into his office to shoot some extra scenes, and they just used various angles within his office to shoot him. So he's just up against one of the one of the walls in the office. Yeah, it's great because like he'll do that. Like the guy, the way he directed and shit was like instead of like getting person reacting to someone in the scene and then like shooting it from a different angle, he would just shoot all this one person's lines right. And then he would turn the camera and then shoot someone's reactions to the line and just splice yeah. it together. Also, yeah, the, guy, the guy had no clue how to make a movie. Everything's overdubbed, you know? Yes. Yep. And so, like, unless you were a main actor in there, you know, <laughs> the director was dubbing all those voices. 
Yeah, all the ADR was done by the director trying to change his voice a little bit, but that's why every bad guy always sounds the same and always begins every sentence with, hey, you. Yeah, no, it's like, <laughs> it's the weirdest shit ever. I think there's one where uh, the Franklin guy, he did the voice, but the rest of them are all uh, either the main actors or the director. It's, it's right. fucking funny and shit. <laughs> this is um this is kind of an Adam Goldberg thing. Adam <laughs> Goldberg. Um, Adam Goldberg is a comedian filmmaker who who made the Goldbergs on ABC. Yeah. But the the movie was the TV show was based on videotapes he made uh of his real life. Yeah. And and this is this is what this like the middle school kid who wants to grow up to be a filmmaker playing with his parents camcorder. Oh it, yeah, just this guy happened to have like a bunch of money he had to get rid of real quickly. Yeah. Uh, also, this movie has one of my favorite um, stuntmen slash. Uh, hey, I know that guy. It's got oh, yeah? uh, Gerald Akamura. Okay. Uh, he's like a like a ball headed Asian guy with like a oh yeah a yeah he's been in I mean every fucking movie he's like the Fu Manchu mustache yeah he's been in Big Trouble Little Chinatown uh horrendous uh, child movies like Little Bigfoot uh, a bunch of Power Rangers shit um yeah I he can was see that all right really crappy uh Blade knockoff called Vampire Assassin which is also like a notorious so bad it's good it's like this movie but made in 2000 yeah but uh, yeah that guy's uh like a b movie legend gerald akamura he needs a right. plaque or statue or something plays a character named akamura of course yeah well yeah he's he's probably <laughs> the guy he's probably the guy that the main star uh went to jail with i'm not sure who that was i need to look that up i don't know but it that sounds like some shit akamura would do like he would be like yeah, no, I I got this plan and and totally sell you out and like go move to like uh Japan and film a couple of movies and then come back and shit. <laughs> There's some stories about him. Movie opens up with a soundtrack that sounds like it came from that 1987 arcade driving game Outrun. Yeah, I love that. Well, uh, we've had a couple of movies like that where they kind of just I mean, it was part of the title sequence or like right. the uh but yeah, I love that shit. It reminds me of a uh, like a Streets of Rage on Sega Genesis. Yep, it's like a fighting game where you can be a kangaroo. <laughs> well, the Katana Gang is trying to get a foothold in the L.A. crime scene, so the boss orders the leaders of the Chinese gang killed. So his men head over to Chinatown to meet with Mister Lee. Uh, Mister Lee refuses to have anything to do with these Japanese folks, so Yamashita stabs him. And they fight to the death as a, a redheaded woman who is known only as female henchwoman. Watch it. She acts like I a mean, like woman. pulling down the sunglasses to watch the yeah. fight. <laughs> and then like looks left and looks right and then looks straight into the camera. Like it right? keeps on coming back, you know, like uh, <laughs> stab him and she like looks into the camera and like smiles. Oh, it's fucking terrible. It's awful. Elsewhere, Frank Washington and Joe Marshall are outside police headquarters. Frank is responsible for bringing Joe from San Diego for a cocaine bust. 
if Joe looks like he has a stupid looking wig on, it's because he does. Remember I said that folks were brought back to shoot additional scenes long after the shooting had finished. Well, after this movie wrapped up, Matt Caradis had his long hair cut short. And then they called him back in to shoot more scenes. And, you know, he cut all his hair off. That's okay. Amir Shirvan has it covered. And he puts a woman's wig on him. And it looks retarded. Oh, yeah, no. Okay, he goes from, like, he's got, like, when his real hair's on, he looks like a rocker dude, you know? Like, some guy that, like, just listens to, like, yeah, like metal. It looks almost like a mullet. Yeah. Not quite there, you know, but like, you know, it's getting there. And then when he's got the wig on, he's he looks like a soccer mom or like Conan. <laughs> Conan the Barbarian, the soccer mom. Because it's like a button-up jean shirt and like a black hat. Like a stupid black hat on the wig to make it look natural. <laughs> they so, literally put a hat on a hat. Yeah. He, he looks like his name should be Barbara or something. It's... <laughs> It really does, because I, I don't know, he's wearing a jacket, and then he goes from wearing a jacket when he's in his hair, you know, to when he's in the wig, and it's just like a button-up denim shirt with, like, the sleeves rolled up. Yeah. So it's not helping. And, and plus, I think, all right, never mind. Yeah, I was about to say, they're in a van, but they're chasing a van. They're in, like, some old, beat-up. They are in an 88 Caprice Classic. Yeah. Yeah. That's, like, something my uncles would drive around in. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and the watch for the wig because the wig will appear mid conversation. Yeah, it'll with cut to Joe with his normal hair, cut to somebody else to say something, cut back to Joe when wearing the wig, cut back to the first guy, cut back to Joe with his regular hair, and it's like it's a cop car chase on a pier with a helicopter, so they're jump cutting like every. Two seconds, you know? Yeah. It gets disoriented. It's really messed up. Well, they hop in the car and they head to a vacant lot across from a blue van. This blue van is Amir Shirvan's production van. This guy would not spend money on rental cars for the shooting. Um, He didn't spend any money on wardrobe, so they all wore their own clothes. Everything is shot during the day because he would not spend money on extra lighting to shoot at night. I'm pretty sure he had that wig just lying around. He didn't pay for that shit either. It might have been his personal wig. It might have been. For when he, Amir becomes Amy. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's, there's that one scene where, like, you don't see that chick from the front. She's just the shoulder. <laughs> Is that this movie or am I thinking of another movie? I, I think you're thinking of another movie, yeah. Okay, there is a, a I think it's Hollywood Cop, which is like, it's like the dry run of this one. It's like instead of a buddy cop movie, it's just like a lone renegade cop. And that one has kidnapping, right. and like an evil dog in it. Don't even get me started on Hollywood <laughs> Cop. We're on Samurai Cop. I, I can't go back. Well, it seems the survivors of the attack on Mr. Lee gave Joe information about the Katana gang. Meanwhile, Peggy, a uh, police helicopter pilot, is going to help with the bust. And we get some of the worst innuendo ever. Oh, yeah, no. Uh, Peggy tracks the van from the sky. Um, I don't know why she's tracking the van, because Joe and Frank are right behind the van. Behind it, it yeah. That's, that's, that's what I'm talking about. And they use, like, 
eight jump cuts for that shit just to establish that they're right behind the van. Yeah. Yeah, keep it warm there, Peggy. Great job. No, I mean, they're yeah. right beside. I'm looking. I'm, you can see it in my fucking, like, you know. Yeah. God, and Peggy says, good job, guys. You keep it up. And Joe says, it's always up. You keep it warm. Man, <laughs> HR is going to have a fucking field day with this movie. Oh, it's going to get Home worse. Violations. Yeah. Oh, I guess. Yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the dialogue is improvised here. Amir Shervin didn't really know how to write a screenplay. And some folks tried to make the excuse that English isn't wasn't his first language. But I'm not going to buy that crap. I think he just didn't know how to write a screenplay. Uh, well, if he had like, gone to film school, this would have been a much funnier movie, and that would have been great. There's a couple scenes where it's like they're like word for wording it right. Like he yeah. they, he made an, he made an attempt. Yeah, and, and I'm pretty sure after they filmed those scenes, this like that's all right. We're just gonna hang the rest of it. It's gonna be all improv. Just gonna hang it off everything. The other and thing they, about this is that. Amir Shervan would not do a second take of anything, of anything. And Matt Caradis in an interview said that he would deliberately screw stuff up in a scene so that he would have to cut it out or do a second take. And no, it's in there. No, no, it's all in there. He's like doing Elvis movies during the Kung Fu. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's horrible. Trying to break each other up. They're like laughing and staring straight in the camera. Like I, they'll say some a line, yeah, and then they'll they'll look in the camera like a fucking Bugs Bunny cartoon. It's horrible. It's great. I love it. <laughs> I mean, you know, shit on you for being unprofessional and stuff. But hey, you know, if you're know you're going to be in a golden turn, you know, you're self aware, kind of like. We see a boat. A man is carrying a suitcase and a duffel bag that's supposed to be, we're supposed to assume they're full of cocaine. He gets in a boat, which takes him from one part of the dock to another part of the exact same dock to meet up with a blue van. There are two armed men in the back of the van, too. Frank and Joe apparently have lost the van. That's because the van is at the pier and Frank and Joe appear to be driving around a mall parking lot. Yeah, there's like one scene where it shows them and you can kind of see the pier across from them. But the rest (laughs) of that scene, they're in a mall parking lot that's nowhere near an ocean. (laughs) Also, yeah, the wig comes back in that, too. So, yes. Well, back on the pier, the giant suitcase and the duffel bag full of cocaine gets traded for a teeny tiny briefcase that's supposed to be full of money. None of these ever get open, so we don't know what's in them. We just see people exchange luggage and assume that it's money for cocaine. You know, you know what they say about assuming, Mike? That's true. They make an ass out of you and Uma Thurman. That's it, every time. Frank and Joe finally arrive at the pier, and they try to look inconspicuous as they stand nervously beside a light pole. <laughs> I mean... They could have sat in the car and seen this happen, but no, they get out of the car and stand arm's length from a light pole, touching the light pole, one on either side. That's how you hide. With gritted teeth, too. Like, yes. Oh, my God. Matt Caradas has the best pooping face, and he uses it throughout this entire movie. He looks like a a 
a chain dog that's losing its shit. Just, <laughs> he wants off that chain so bad. He's going to tear that car up. You know it. He just shows these day glow white teeth and bugs his eyes out. It's crazy. I think on the rift tracks, they, they use that as like the, uh, the thumbnail was just that face. <laughs> well, the guys load the Coke into the van and leave and Joe and Frank follow. Peggy is still tracking the van from the sky. Joe manages to cut the van off, which speeds away, except it's not speeding away. It's driving normally, and they f- speed up the film. Yeah, and th- that's fucked up because they did that, and there's like parked cars <laughs> and shit, but the road yeah. that they're beside is like a, a highway. It's like, you know, like some road next to the uh, LA freeway and shit. So yeah. those cars are also going fast, so I'm... Oh, yeah, God. there's a there's like an interstate from, oh. overpass in the background and cars just zipping over it as fast as can be. <laughs> and this is all sped up, so it's kind of a Gilligan's Island thing. Yeah, it's like Keystone Cops. Yeah. Yeah, high-speed chase ensues through a residential neighborhood because that's where it's easiest to find trash cans to run into. Oh yeah. Because you can't have a uh, you can't have a car chase without running into some trash cans. Even if you have to swerve up onto the curb to hit them and then back out onto the street, which is exactly what happened here. A man pops out the back door and starts firing at Joe and Frank, which causes Joe to shout, "Shoot! Shoot him!" Over <laughs> and over again. Yeah, it's Frank, not even like they just he says it once and then they just loop it. They just loop it like four or it's five times. The same, yeah, it's the same sound file or whatever. It's the same sample. Yep. Frank shoots the gunman who falls out of the van, and then Joe runs over him. Oh, oh okay, yeah. <laughs> that shit made me like almost shit my pants. I was laughing so hard. Every time. It's, it's, it's so, so bad. Corny. Yeah, they, it's like they're driving up to him. Ain't to, it, yeah, yeah, it's 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 film it's the it's film slow and sped up, yep. right? And then cut you see you see you know Matt's face cut back to the camera's pointing out the back of the car, and he's laying in the street and he just like does this like little jerk motion. Yeah, he just got, does like, a little blood, roll. Yeah, and he's got like a little blood stain on his back of his head, and then yeah, that's a that's a dead guy. Yep, <laughs> that's what I meant. Like. It's like if the little rascals made an action movie. That's what I meant. Yeah. Like that shit is yeah, you... so. <laughs> <laughs> you see the guy fall cute. out of the van in front of the car. Joe makes the oh shit face, and then pointing out the back window and see the guy. He's supposed to be rolling out from under the car, and he's got some blood on him laying out in the street. <laughs> and you know, there's like just some Armenian guy over to the right, just um kick more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like just yelling at him. Oh God, it's great. It's so good. That's precious. It's <laughs> it's like really sugary Kool-Aid. It's like you know it's bad for you, but you're gonna drink another cup. It's like, oh man, I want to watch <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, Frank manages to shoot the other gunman sticking out the back of the van. He falls into the van, so we don't get to see that uh, stunt again. They chase the van down a dirt road, and a third gunman is sh- hanging out the side door. Frank shoots him, and he rolls down the hill. And he kind of dives down the hill and then rolls. <laughs> Eventually, they're able to shoot the driver of the van, causing him to crash into a rock wall. And as we know, uh, because we've seen movies, 
Whenever a van crashes into a rock wall at slow speed, it immediately bursts into flames. And that's what happened here. Uh, the driver oh, isn't dead, though. He's seen dancing around on fire while Frank yells, He's burning! He's burning! Oh, he's burning! <laughs> that's not accurate. <laughs> they had no idea what the hell they were filming. Uh, like, uh, what's his name? Amir, he takes him out there. He's like, yeah. very cool. Uh, he just, he, he has like a blanket and like a little bitty fire extinguisher. And it's like, all right, we're going to set this guy on fire and you're going to put him out. <laughs> That's how they filmed the scene. It's like, this is what we're going to do. So I believe they're you barely, completely. They're barely awake. And then this guy who looks like a farmer who's like, you know, hasn't slept in a couple of days. He's like, all right, do it. And so like he gets set on fire, slowly gets out of the van like this is a Tuesday for him. And then starts dancing around. And then, yeah, they just they run into the frame with the blanket and the fire extinguisher. And that's not that is not acting. That is a documentary at this point. I love it. And the Zoom, you really pay attention to that, that old guy's face because he does. He looks like some old farmer with no teeth. And he's just like yeah. bored to hell. He's like, oh man, <laughs> I ain't got time for this shit. Well, Peggy tells him they did a good job and this calls for a celebration. So Joe says he will meet her back at her place. Immediately cut to them having outside the underwear sex on Peggy's bed. Yeah, because movie. Uh, right. Hey, don't have we had a good day at work. Let's go bang. Yeah. yeah that's like just, that's bad. Uh, philosophy man you just like shouldn't you know <laughs> yeah where you yeah, eat stuff man like hey, oh that's just tacky but it is you gotta yeah slow spot in the plot um there's no way they're gonna like pay for a big explosion you had that guy set on fire that counts so nudity right yeah yep gotta have boob we've had we've had shooting we've had chasing we've had explosion we need boobs yeah at the Katana Boss's mansion, they are discussing Joe Marshall, the samurai. Uh, he speaks fluent Japanese, Japanese and was trained by the martial arts masters, which is kind of like in the IT crowd when they were talking about the elders of the internet. <laughs> That's a great show. <laughs> I love that show. Yamashita promises to take care of Joe. He also he is also ordered to kill the gang member who was burned and captured. Uh, the boss wants his head to sit on the piano. So Yamashita says, I will bring you his head to sit on your piano. Yeah. It's, it's, oh, man. Very wooden dialogue where dialogue was written. Stilted, yeah. I don't know if that's like where they had to re-record it, everything. Maybe because they had to like keep up with the lips and shit. Yeah, but you can tell you can tell when it, it's scripted dialogue and versus when it's just them fucking around. Right. And Joe and Frank are in what's supposed to be the squad room. It looks like an office. When the captain pops in the door and tells them that he wants to see them in their office, so they walk out and they are not in his office, but they are in a hospital. Yeah. They are checking on their prisoner, but it's not good. A nurse is giving him an injection. <laughs> <laughs> it's always bad when you're giving when you're getting an injection. Also, 
the nurse says that he can't answer any questions because his lips are burned. This is the horny nurse scene. Oh, my God. As she leaves, the nurse walks past Joe. Joe's kind of in the doorway, and so she's got to turn sideways and get past him. And he, she says, do you like what you see? And he says, yeah, I do. Do you want to touch what you see? Yeah, sure. Do you want to fuck me? And it just gets worse from there. Yeah, it's like every dirty joke that, you know, yeah. you heard in high school. It's fucking... The only thing that makes it any funny is the reaction that he's getting from his partner. Yes. And how he's <laughs> trying to maintain cool, even though this chick's, like, totally not having... Like, he's trying to, like, oh, no, I'm, I'm cool. I'm top dog. And she, she just, she's just fucking with him. Yeah. She, she comments about the unimpressive size of his package and leaves just as Frank comes out. So, hey, I gotta, I gotta, uh, <laughs> yeah. Also, they're in a burn ward. Yeah. They're in the, they're in a um, emergency room at the hospital. Behind her on the door, it says dental office in a Sherpa. <laughs> okay. It, it's like I guess that's the dentist's name, Ina, Arna, Irma. Right. It, it's obviously a dead dentist office. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Joe and Frank leave telling the officer outside that they've got he's got some backup coming and nobody but doctors and nurses are allowed in that room. And then they leave and about that time a nurse rolls a laundry cart with a trash can in it and a towel draped over it into the room yeah. to change the trash. Also, uh, that nurse, she's got red hair and she looks familiar. She definitely looks familiar. This might be female henchwoman. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> um, anytime there is a towel draped over a cart, it means there's somebody hiding inside there. It yeah. doesn't matter if it's a room service cart, a laundry basket, or what. If there's a towel draped over it very deliberately, it means somebody's hiding in there. But this is like a clown cart or something. Yes, because great big samurai and his sword step out of the cart. Robert Zadar is like 6'1". He's a and big that's boy. that's just his jaw. Yeah, no, this guy is huge. <laughs> so that means he had to get on the cart somewhere. They got on the elevator, got to that floor, wheeled past a bunch of cops all the way down, yep. gets to the room. Even the, the, the hospital room that they're in is small. It's like just a right. bed and one chair, and there's not much room for the cart. Yet somehow he unfolds his body, gets out of the <laughs> cart with a ninja sword, with a damn katana. A big katana, yeah. You know what katana means, right? It means Japanese sword. Right. <laughs> that thing alone couldn't fit in the cart, but somehow Robert Zadar and that thing is in that cart, and they just kind of unhinge, and they come out, and they chop this dude's head off, and he wraps it up. Very slowly cut his Very head slowly. off. Very slowly, yeah. like Almost like a slicing thing. These are ninja swords. Yeah. I've seen them on YouTube. You would think, yeah, yeah, you would think he's trying to cut the thinnest piece of meat he can possibly slice, you know? Yeah. And, and now, I mean, he's, he chops this guy's head off, then he hands the bloody sword to the nurse, um, and uh, they wrap the severed head in a towel, and then he hides back in the cart. 
like reverse happy birthday. It's fucking weird. Hey, I don't know yeah. what the fuck's going on. Well, they roll out of the hospital room. Now the, the trash can is gone and they just have a sheet covering up the laundry cart. I guess that, yeah, she changed changed the trash. <laughs> and she's wheeling this cart down the hall. Steve, the officer outside, enters the room and sees blood everywhere and a missing head and tells yeah. the nurse to call security as he chases after him. The security guard tries to stop the nurse, but she gets in the elevator. What can you do? She got in the elevator. It's Not over. Like you can stop him once you get in the elevator. Hell no. Also, like the guy that's supposed to be a cop, he yeah. looks like a stripper dressed like a cop. And the guy that's like hostile security looks like a uh, Miami cop from like the 80s. Right. Yeah. Well, Yamashita's dressed like a doctor, and they sneak out with the head in a trash bag. Several people try to stop him, but Yamashita beats him up, and this is where I was talking about all the ADR recorded by Amir Shervan. That's why everybody sounds the same, and everything hey, they say starts with, Hey, you, wait a minute. Hey, you're not supposed to be here. Yeah, everything starts with, hey. Yeah. Hey. It would have been even funnier if it had been, hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. Outside, they put the head in the trunk as two more people try to stop them. This is the backup that they said was coming. But Yamashita beats them down. Then they hop in female henchwoman's convertible and drive away. Female henchwoman is played by a one-named actress. Uh, Her name is Cameron. She is known for playing unnamed characters in Seinfeld and Cheers. She also portrayed Ensign Kellogg and a few other unnamed characters in 43 episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation, as well as Star Trek Generations and Star Trek First Contact. And she is the only actress to appear fully nude in this movie. It's like kind of like a a model that... uh... Was really good background actress. I don't know, yeah. man. Like everything that's Star Trek, that's fucking forty-three episodes of Star Trek: The Next Generation and two movies. That's almost like Jeffrey Combs' level of Star Trek. Yeah. Well, finally, Joe and Frank make it to the captain's office, and the captain is pissed because they've killed too many people. Oh man. Okay, they do this in every buddy cop movie, right? No. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you see enough tropes, you kind of get, like, you know, a little malaise. You know, you just like, yeah, okay, whatever. This one, they did it right. This one sticks out. I love this one. <laughs> and I, I, I think it's just the look of this guy, the reaction, and the little sprinkles at the end of the scene really sell this. The captain is hilarious. Oh, yeah. that The way that guy says motherfucker makes me laugh. <laughs> it, it's like uh like an old grumpy short white like i don't know he kind of looks like he's from chicago so i don't know why i said that but it does he looks like that like imagine the uh inspector gadget's boss right yeah like that guy but he's real life and uh he yeah he looks exactly he says, like inspector gadget's boss yeah the way he says motherfucker is like when uh uh, Bernie Mac used to do it. Like he he uses it <laughs> well. He knows when to say it. He knows how to inflect like the yes. He's part of the word, you know. When he says it yep. like this, it means this thing. When he says it like that, it means this. Like he's really yep. into that. And uh, just yeah, he's got like a good look. And it, the the cops, the two cops, 
you know they're having fun. Like all these actors, you can tell are having fun because they're working, reacting off each other. You know, it's well, a, it's a good thing. Matt Caradis is trying to break him, and he doesn't break, and that's what I like about him. That's what He's I'm saying. Just, this guy's been here one week, and it's almost cost me my job. And just hey, I've been here one week. Yeah, just dumb stuff. And he's, he's trying to break him, and he doesn't break him. He just keeps on his rant. It's wonderful. He's like the one professional actor on this movie. Yeah, and it's it, the whole conversation is weird when he's talking to Samurai Cop because, like, when it does the behind the shot when you're looking at the 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 commissioner or whatever, right? That's his hair. But when everything it cuts to like uh, Samurai Cop's face, he's in the wig. He's in the wig. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's like, you know, some of it's stilted and some of it, yeah, it's definitely them trying to break the, the, the guy. Also, the captain, like, he cusses, he cusses them all out. Yeah. Right? The captain wants to send Joe back to San Diego, and that's fine with Joe, but Joe, uh, Frank convinces the captain to give Joe a second chance. And he says, I feel like somebody stuck a big club up my ass. I gotta find a way to get it out of there. <laughs> I feel like it, I feel like someone stuck something on my ass, and it hurts. It, he really it said, hurts. That, and it hurts. I gotta find a way to get it out of there. <laughs> yeah, and um, that's when he starts cussing them and sends them out. And but, Frank Frank stops yeah. and kisses him on the forehead, like fucking Bugs Bunny and shit. Just comes back in. And is like, I'm sorry, Elmer Fudd looking motherfucker, and just kiss. And like, he kind of sneaks in like a kid. Like fucking with their dad, like he's trying to sleep, you know, and he's like, yeah, sticking shit in there. He just comes up, like, and he's like, get the fuck out. And then they <laughs> run off, you know, and then it, then it, he sits back down and he just like closes his eyes, like he's about to take a nap. <laughs> this shitty and, grin. <laughs> and the camera just holds on him. And the actor, there's a story, and the actor's waiting for him to say cut, right? And yeah. the director's not cut. He's just holding it on him. And then he gives like a little laugh. And then they yeah. finally. It's like dude, he thought the with... scene was over. Maybe he's won it. He's won it to fucking it be over. He's he's <laughs> just sitting there, closing his eyes, say cut. This is where you do your job, motherfucker. Say cut. And he's like, when's this gonna end? <laughs> it never ended. He probably didn't even say cut. They just cut it there. Like, yeah. I mean, it probably went on forever. <laughs> and like you said, the guy never did like another take. So you're right. So, yeah, it's like, man, just please say cut. I just want this to be over. Yeah. In the, in the squad room, uh, Officer Johnson tells Joe that Fujiyama has been hanging out at a restaurant called the Blue Lagoon. Now, Jesse, if you were talking about a Japanese gang hanging out at a restaurant, what kind of restaurant do you think it would be? Uh, I don't know. Like maybe a Japanese restaurant? A Chinese yeah. restaurant? Something like that. Restaurant's yeah. called the Blue Lagoon. When you hear that name, I think seafood? Brookfields. Maybe. Maybe, yeah. Well, Frank and Joe, they go to this restaurant. This is where they get to talking about the Katana gang. <laughs> Frank asks, what does Katana mean anyway? And Joe says, it means Japanese, Japanese sword. sword. Yeah, Actually, it means one-sided blade. But now yeah. yeah, we'll say it means Japanese sword. There was a TV show only lasted one or two seasons called Outsourced. Yeah, I watched that. Yeah. The and movie was better. It was about a guy who 
a, an American guy who ran a call center. The call center got outsourced to India, and he had to go to India and run the call center over there. And he had to show he had to show the sexual harassment film to these people. And it's this woman who's who's really into yoga, and she says, "Namaste." That's Indian for hello. And that's what this reminded me of. <laughs> it means Japanese sword. Yeah. I think, it, yeah, it's just like that person trying to like info dump, trying to look like they know right. what to talk about in like a very right. rapid kind of like, yeah. Uh, but in this one, in that, it's played all for comedy. In this, it's like just kind of just dumb, you know, macho kind of yeah. like, yeah, that's a Japanese sword. <laughs> I got these apparently, Yeah. Apparently there are two rival gangs who are willing to help uh, the police take out the Katana gang. So Joe and Frank head to the Blue Lagoon restaurant, which happens to be a Mexican restaurant. Yeah. I was like, you say that might not make sense. Like, like earlier, say that, well, it should have been, but like, you gotta think this is like a, a movie in the nineties in LA. Right. Like everything's like a Mexican restaurant, you know. It's like, <laughs> well, they got like Whataburger and like nineteen Mexican restaurants. Like, yeah, they got In and Out, they got Carl's Jr., and they got all the Mexican restaurants. Yeah. <laughs> well, inside Fujiyama is giving Jennifer a ring. Joe and Frank arrive, and they approach Fujiyama's table. Fuji, uh, Joe says he's a cop, which uh, starts a staring contest. They just they yeah. just cut to everybody at the table staring at each other. Yeah, Robert Zadar stands up and he like looks really offended because they said he's a cop. And then like yeah, right. it starts cutting everybody's eyes, and they do like uh, the Italian spaghetti western like cut their eyes back and forth. You know. Yep. Uh, Joe warns them that uh, he will kill all of them if they keep selling cocaine to school children. To school children, yes. Yeah. That's when Fujiyama's attorney, the only American at the table, says that they have absolutely nothing on Fujiyama, and he is going to sue them for insulting him. And before he leaves, Joe takes the opportunity to make a pass at Jennifer, and she doesn't exactly turn him down. Yeah. Also, a couple like really nice laugh reacts from his partner. Yes. Like, totally out of context. Like, just like, goofing and hamming it up. <laughs> On their way like, out, they stop and talk to a cartoon waiter. Oh, man. Um, and when I say cartoon waiter, you remember in Good Morning Vietnam, the gay bar owner, Jimmy Wah? Yeah. If you cross him with Joe Besser, you get this guy. Joe Besser? is Was that the guy that rolled the bomb? Joe Besser was the, um, he replaced uh, Curly Joe on the Three Stooges. Okay, yeah, no. Who was I thinking of? The guy that wrote the bomb in Doctor Strange Love. I I don't know who that was. This guy's uh extra, extra. Extra, extra yeah. It's funny as shit though. He explains uh -huh. that uh, Jennifer and her mother owned the restaurant that Jennifer's father committed suicide, and he agrees to help Joe hook up with Jennifer. The way he tells him though, like the way yeah. you put it in, you're putting it out like uh a dragnet, you know, it, this is not the way this guy puts it out, though. He, he kind of no. mimes it. He kind of mimes it, kind of jokes with it. It's the way he says it's so funny. I don't know. It's yeah. really hard to explain. It's just, 
He says, you have to see it. He says, how did his father die? And he says, he killed him. He says, who did? <laughs> he did. He who? Who killed? Himself. <laughs> himself. He makes the little yeah. gun thing to his head. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. That fucking waiter outfit that he's got. You know, I, I mean, it's the same uniform that the Mexican waiters were wearing. Yeah, but the way he's wearing it is just weird. Yeah, I don't know. it's bizarre. Well, Joe asked for the waiter's name, and he says, Alfonso Rafael Federico Sebastian. And that's just my first name. They leave before they can get his last name. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty bad. Pujama uh, sends his muscle to follow them out to the parking lot. Joe and Frank take out the first four guys, so Yamashita sends more. And he's standing back just watching all of this. One with a katana, and he sends one with a gun. So oh, Frank shoots the one with the sword. They've got some of the other guys that they beat down handcuffed. And the guy with the gun orders them to uncuff the first thug. That's when Joe takes the katana and cuts the gunman's arm off. You knew. You knew when they came in with that 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 was going to happen. Because he's samurai cop. Exactly. Somebody's going to lose a body part. And this is the most um, obviously plastic arm. I mean, this is like yeah. a well, Halloween costume store severed arm. These kind of movies had to do that. Like, they had to, like, sever a, a body part, like, yeah, whether it was a head or an arm, like they've already done it twice in this movie. It was a head in the hospital. Now they're doing an arm. And the blood in this movie is all the Cairo syrup and red food dye. Oh, yeah. It's everywhere. It's like it's that sticky shit that won't go away. <laughs> in fact, I think like in a couple of parts in the shootouts, you can see like big red circles on the pavement. Yep. Where they probably like, you know, like just spilt this shit and like, oh, no, it's all right. It was good. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Cause also, they there's, went there's back to the same spot. Shot and it aged that same spot. Yeah. With those circles. Nah. But there's that one part where that guy gets shot, that big black guy, and he just grabs his shirt because they didn't even, they didn't probably didn't have any surf left or anything. <laughs> he just grabs his shirt and then like kind of slides down a barn. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they reuse spots over and over and over again for this. So, we will see fights and shootouts in this same parking lot several more times in the movie. Yeah. Like they went in and said, hey, here's 25 bucks. Can we use your parking lot for the afternoon? And then they shoot every parking lot scene in the movie in that one parking lot. Oh, no, it's even worse. It'd be like, uh, I right, so like they had three or four main locations, which uh, Amir owned all of them, you know? Right. And the rest, they were just like guerrilla kind of film. Yeah, like just filming a parking lot or just right beside the freeway, like in a wilderness kind of area, like just like a homeless camp. Right. Like, just, like let's just pull out right here and we'll do the fight scene right here by the freeway. <laughs> we don't have to record sound. It don't matter. You know, let's get out here and uh, throw dirt at each other and, you know, make ninja sound. Yep. Well, Yamashita has a folding submachine gun, and he opens up fire, not necessarily trying to kill Joe and Frank, but trying to kill the other gang members so they don't get taken into police custody. I think he used a lot more bullets killing them than he ever would have needed to kill Joe and Frank. <laughs> and he shoots up their 88 Caprice Classic. Then he takes a hand grenade and just very casually rolls it under the car, like so it won't go too far. 
Yeah. It goes up and their car is on fire, complete with campfire sound effects, like crackling wood. Yeah, what they used to do, like, they used to take steel wool and just, like, rub it in front of a microphone, you know? Yeah. It's kind of like that, that crackling, really clean and crisp. Yep. Back at the captain's office, Fujiyama's lawyer is um, warning them that he is going to sue them, and the captain's not hearing it, and he throws the guy out uh-huh. with lots of profanity. Back at the restaurant, Joe heads upstairs to the office to see Jennifer. Apparently, all the fighting's over, and this is a different day. But since it's never night in this movie, it's kind of hard to tell. Yeah. Uh, this, is the, uh, this, this is the lion scene, isn't it? Uh, the, the lions. Yeah, he's like in her office, and they're like doing an interview, and like there's this weird, uh, craft lion in the office, like above the the fireplace. It's weird as shit. It takes yeah, you out of the whole yeah. thing. Like you're, yeah. cause like they're talking about like shit that's important to the plot, and the whole time you're staring at this big lion that's like made out of yarn and paper mache. Yes. Yeah, I know exactly and, what you're talking about now. I'm like, what's going on in the movie? I don't know what's going on because I was looking at this fucking lion. <laughs> Why'd they do that to me? Well, he's up there just flirting with Jennifer. Uh, outside, a guy calls Mr. Akamura, the, the bald guy with the Fu Manchu mustache, to warn him that the cop is here. But yeah, he's not there as a cop. He's just there to flirt. Jennifer explains that Fujiyama paid her dad's debt to save the restaurant. So now basically Fujiyama owns the restaurant. Joe warns her that it was drug money, and then he asks her out to dinner. Now nah, she's busy. Now what about the next day? No, well, Sunday it is. Now I go to church on Sunday, plus it's my birthday. No, well, fuck me, I guess. <laughs> I guess, birthday. yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's it's a pretty firm no. I thought I was the star of this movie. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Well, Joe leaves and finds himself, this is so bizarre. Mm-hmm. So he walked up some stairs and into her office. He walked out of the door to her office, and he's in a disco. All right, that's, that's, her, that's her dad's restaurant slash nightclub that they were talking okay. about in the previous scene. The office okay. is supposed to be upstairs. Yep. That's supposed to be, see, okay, like every time they go to a new location, each location is like three different buildings, three or four different buildings added together to make it look like one big area. Right. The shootouts in the in in the Gerald Nakamura's house that's that's like four houses split together, like just edited together sure. real quick. Sure. Yeah. They walk out one room, they go to another house, they walk into another room. So that's what's going on here. Um, it does make this whole movie kind of disjointed. It's like just like a fever dream, really. You're always lost. You never know where you're at. You know, exactly. especially like the car chases drove me nuts. Like I was so glad when they were over because I was like, all right, exhibition <laughs> time. Or titties, you know, I don't know what's, you know, because you don't know when this movie Well, there's some guys in the disco and, and they've got a gun on Joe. Joe says, uh, you're not going to kill me. And the guy says, yeah, you're right. My orders are just to break your legs. Mm-hmm. And so um, they fight. Joe beats him down and then leaves right down the stairs that he went up to get to Jennifer's office. Yeah, that's that's supposed to be the restaurant night, nightclub. It looks right. like uh, like the clubhouse from like a fucking uh, golf resort or some shit. It don't look it like does. anything. Yeah, yeah. 
One of the take attackers takes off running, and Joe gives chase through a residential neighborhood. And this looks like the same neighborhood they were chasing the van through. He catches the guy in a parking lot, but the guy won't tell him who hired him because they'll kill him. Joe offers to help. He can protect him. And Bleh. that's when the guy tells him that he was hired by Akamura. Joe, Frank, <laughs> and Peggy are going to raid a house. Frank says if it goes wrong, Captain Mike cut his dick off, too. So Peggy says they should go back to her house first so they can use it before he loses. Then she hits on the old guy. Yeah, Joe sends Peggy and, and Johnson to watch the front of the house while he and Frank go around the back. And as soon as they walk away, Peggy turns to Johnson and says, hey, you want to fuck while we're waiting? He just like tells her, ah, shut up. <laughs> This just, like just, whole, just blunt. It's blunt racism and Becky's uh, a whore. A little bit. No, nah, I didn't want to slut Shane, but yeah, she she's uh she's popular, yeah. man. Yeah. <laughs> Helicopter chicks every time. Akamura is in bed with some woman outside. Joe and Frank take out one of the guards. They find the bedroom, which has a sliding glass door, oh, but God, it's yeah. locked, so they can't get at him. That whole scene's awkward as shit. All right, so, like, it doesn't even look like it's one of the guards. I mean, it is one of the guards. They say, ooh, guard. But It's like, just it a guy like, in jeans and a T-shirt. Yeah, it looks like they just, like, grabbed some guy that was walking around the... It looks like a hotel room. It doesn't look like a house. Right. So it looks like some guy was, like, walking through, like, I don't know, the ice machine, and they just grab him, hit him with a gun, and then throw him in the bushes, and then... They're like while Nakamura's in there with this lady, and they're like, ah, that might be his last, you know, lay or whatever. It's like, yeah, let's fuck it up. And so, like, they like, please freeze. And then, like, they're fucking with the door. They can't get it open. And then, and like, Nakamura, <laughs> he don't Instead put of, he, He's open. armed. He could just shoot through the door and, and take Frank and Joe both out. But no, he runs and they fight with the lock on a sliding door. And this is where we get a shootout where they go through six different houses in one house. Right. Yeah. Joe and Frank head through the house, chasing Akamura and killing guards as they go. And it is a big house. They go through three or four different hallways in this one house. There's an arcade. Yeah. Uh, in fact, it's so weird that he jumps out one window and then it shows him in the yard of another house. That's an edit. That's like yeah. two different houses. That's Definitely. how bad this shit is. Akamura is stopped at a dead end, and he's out of bullets. That's okay. He's going to use kung fu pose. And That's Joe an awesome tries mic. to mimic him. He chases him out the house. He stops, opens that briefcase that he got, pulls out a gun that has like three bullets in it. Right. Immediately wastes those three bullets. Right. And then the chase continues. And then, yeah, now we're by the freeway where we can kung fu. Yes. Joe is trying to mimic the Kung Fu. Um, Matt Caratus was trained in something kind of like MMA, but, you know, we'll figure it out. Yeah, it was like Jiu-Jitsu or something. It's just like, uh, I don't know, what's the one where it's like uh, all about uh, gravity and like kind of pulling and pushing? Uh, judo. Judo, yeah, okay. Like he was like Jiu-Jitsu and stuff, or Judo. And Nakamura was like trained in everything. Right. And so, yeah. It gets off to where Nakamura kind of looks like you know what he's doing because he choreographed the thing. And then, yeah, the other guy's like in a wig getting his ass kicked doing Elvis poses. Yeah, and I will say that um, 
you know, they said in in uh, interviews that all of the fight choreography took place immediately before shooting the film, the scene. Yeah. So they would stop shooting, say, okay, we're going to do this and then this, and you punch me and I'll kick you. And then you throw me into the tree. All right, turn the cameras on. And then they film that. And that's the way the whole thing went. Like the fighting sucks, but it the sucks way they so filmed hard. it, the filming of it was pretty good. They did it like the old like uh, kung fu movies where they do all right. edited. Camera. Like you, you look like you're you filming like you're punching a guy from behind, and then you flip the sam- the camera around and you do the reaction shot. Yeah, and uh, it, it it it. I mean, they knew what they're doing there, but yeah, you just giving the guys like a couple hours for you know like rehearse what they're gonna do and then film it and then that's it. Yeah, the fight very quickly turns into kickboxing. It goes back and forth for a while. Finally, Akamura pulls some knives from his belt. He's got a couple of push knives in his belt. Joe grabs his wrists and turns it into a camel's clutch. And then he gets Akamura in an arm bar as Frank arrives and handcuffs him. But Frank is careless. Akamura grabs Frank's gun. So Joe shoots Akamura. Booyah. And then says a wonderful line. This one's dead too. Not captured alive. Oh no! It, first he tried to <laughs> like he does that whole over dramatic where he's like breaking his hands and shit. Yeah, and he's like, uh, what did he say? So I'm like, you're under arrest. And then his partner shows up and he looks up at his partner with like just that, like that. I'm taking a dump face, like very serious, yeah. serious, breaking his teeth. And he's like, careful. I think I broke his arm. And then he goes for the gun and gets shot. Yeah, you think you broke his arm because like, yeah, like a 15 minute fight and three of those minutes with you breaking his arm. You know, so it took you that long to do that shit. Yeah, that's like this that over the dead. top. Shit, yeah, this one's dead. Not captured a lot. That sounds like Mortal Kombat, like fucking finish him, like that kind of type shit, like, you know. <laughs> Yamashita tells Fujiyama about their enemies in the police department. Fujiyama wants to buy the captain, but Yamashita says he tried to set them all up in private business, but it didn't work. Yamashita wants to use New York hitmen to kill him. Fujiyama decides, yeah, we'll use the New York hitmen, but not to kill him, just to break Joe's legs. What the fuck, dude? <laughs> This guy is like on some James Bond villain type shit. It's like, I don't want to yeah. like just shoot a, the guy. I want some weird mousetrap thing where a guy jumps into a, like a fucking pub and it drops a cage <laughs> on him and it like lasers his toes off or something. I want that. And right. like Robert Zadar's like, dude, you're literally killing like our empire. Like our whole fucking Katana gang is like pretty much gutted at this point. Yeah. Um, maybe we should like get off the leg thing. You know, and it's like, <laughs> nah. He's like a little Asian guy with like a mullet, and he's just like really angry. Like, nah, I really want the, angry. the humility of not having legs. You know, and it's like, all right, all right, you know, all right, I don't even care no more. I'm gonna start my own gang, you know. Cut to Joe and some guy in an editing booth looking at film that was supposedly shot inside a mafia boss's house. All right, yeah, I don't okay. know. That's supposed to be like the. Uh, it's like a the police department like warehouse or some shit and they, they're supposed to uh internal affairs that's it and that guy's supposed to be having a spy film 
that was mentioned earlier in the movie where okay. he wanted them to put a camera in the, the Katana gang's mansion. Right. Uh, they, the fans refer him to Walt as Walt Disney because he looks like Walt Disney. He does. Uh, <laughs> that's a uh, Samurai Cop's partner is doing his voice in that. Okay. Well, some guys show up looking for Joe, and the receptionist says he's upstairs. And in a very bizarre voice, he says, "We just have a little business with." Again, that's that's a Amir Sherman. Yeah. Oh man, this whole thing is like messed up. It's so uh, also, up. this is the warehouse that the film was located in. This is the one that has the okay. ball. Okay, all right. Also, this was also filmed after the movie was already filmed because you can tell because he's wearing a stupid hat and a wig. He's wearing the hat and the wig, yeah. Yeah. Well, some of the guys creep up the stairs with guns. One guy stays behind and takes a seat right on the edge of the receptionist's desk, and she's staring at him. As she reaches over and pushes the alarm bell, not even sneaky because it's in the it's on the wall. There's no way she can hide what she's doing. So she's just staring at him and reaches over and pushes the button. Yeah. Upstairs in the editing booth, the alarm bell rings and the editor says to Joe, says, are you expecting company? He says, no, that's an alarm. <laughs> God, that's oh god. Hey, hey, you, you expecting someone? Yeah, no, that's the alarm. That's what that is. That's the alarm. That means there's someone downstairs that should be here. <laughs> well, Joe shoots out, and Joe, sh Joe goes out and starts shooting. He shoots some gunmen, he heads down, down some stairs, and ends up on the roof. Yeah, that roof. That roof shot, there's like a door like right under him. Yeah. That's the door to the vault. Okay. Yeah, I just know that I watched him go down a hallway, down some stairs, down some stairs to get on the roof. Yeah, down the stairs and to the left is the roof. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine like doing like safety drills for this thing, like, oh, fire drill today at work. All right. Oh, God. Everybody ends up on the roof. You gotta go up. You gotta go up the stairs to get to the sidewalk. Downstairs takes fuck. you to the roof. Yeah, don't even fuck with the elevator. Well, there's another gunman. There are a couple more gunmen waiting outside. Joe hops off the roof onto an air conditioner and takes one of them out. The last one runs away, so he jumps off the air conditioner into the parking lot. Cut to female henchwoman taking off her robe. No transition. Just jump down. Boom. Boobs. It kind of takes you out of the action, don't it? It does. Yeah. She gets into bed with Yamashita, and he immediately tries to eat her face. <laughs> God, man. Can you imagine? I hope they gave that lady some combat pay, because that's a big old face to be making out with. Yeah, I mean, she's trying to make out with him, and he's trying to bite her chin. It, yeah. Oh, my God. Like a Marvel. I don't think she was into it, honestly. No, I don't think anybody was into anything in this movie. <laughs> well, as they're doing their thing, the she is saved when the phone rings. It is the boss, so Yamashita is leaving. He's going to a party. She was so happy about that. Cut to Sunday, and Joe is waiting outside the Episcopal Church. There's somebody else waiting out there, keeping an eye on him, uh, pacing kind of anxiously around a car. 
Joe wanted to ask Jennifer some questions, so he's been stalking her outside the church. He wants to ask some police questions. So, cut to Joe and Jennifer arriving at Joe's house, which he owns. That's a, that's a writer-director's mansion, mini-mansion. Yeah. yeah. They walk into the house. Jennifer says, is this your house? And he says, yes, this is my house. I own it. At Fujiyama's house, meanwhile, Yamashita tells him that Jennifer left with the cop. So Fujiyama orders him to go kill both of them. Back at Joe's house, the police questions apparently involve Joe cooking dinner and spinning bullshit about robbing a farm to get the chicken that they're eating. Yamashita and his goons arrive at Officer Johnson's house because they don't know where Joe lives. So they got to go find his address. Officer Johnson and is lifting dumbbells in the living room while his wife Sally is lounging around reading a magazine while he works out. Johnson tells him that when they bust in, Johnson tells him he doesn't know where Joe lives. So one of the goons grabs his wife Sally and rips her blouse open, exposing only one breast. That's the seventh one right there. If you've been keeping okay, it yeah. Uh, I just want to stop real quick. Um. This whole scene is weird. Yes. Because, right? okay, they're in the grumpy old cop's house. Yep. All right. He's sitting there chilling with his wife, and he has, like, a bunch of martial arts martial arts trophies. Yep. And, like, a bunch of gold medals and, like, kung fu and shit and, like, uh, you know, oriental, like, artwork and stuff. Yep. Totally doesn't look like his house. <laughs> it looks, it no. looks like the same in the cop's house. Yeah, it sure does. Well, Yamashita threatens to uh, threatens Sally if he doesn't give him Joe's address. His threat is a little bizarre. He says he's going to hack her throat out piece by piece. Johnson suggests that Frank or Peggy might know. So Yamashita cuts Sally's throat and then stabs Officer Johnson in the gut. Then he sends some guys over to Frank's house while he goes to Peggy's, and they leave Johnson to bleed out next to his dead wife. Cut to Joe and Jennifer on the beach. Time for some butt grabbing. Oh, God, yeah. They are wearing the, uh, matching bikinis? Yeah, his and hers. <laughs> Awkward. Yeah, that she just happened to be wearing when she went to church, maybe, I guess. What's even weirder is... He went to her church wearing a full suit and tie, and he had the same bikini she was wearing at church underneath his suit. Yeah. So that's that. So I guess it's meant to be. Oh, yeah. That's that's how you know it's meant to be. When you accidentally have matching underwear, it's meant to be. On a Sunday, on a (laughs) church day. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, two guys ambush Frank as he comes out of the shower. They want to know where Joe lives, and if he doesn't tell him, they are going to relieve him of his black gift. Man, they got to stop doing that. They got to. They're going to get us canceled so fast. God, I mean, this guy's dead. He doesn't care if he gets canceled. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no. Again, uh, uh, I I was going to say 80s, but this came out in 91. But... Principal photography was finished in like 89. So, like, you're right. Yeah. Well, he tells them the address is in the closet. So, one of the guys starts going through the pockets of his shirt and coats in there while he grab, while Frank grabs uh, some scissors and sneak attacks the guy that's holding a knife on him. He gets a gun 
out of the pocket of the guy who was holding a knife on him, shoots his partner that's going through his stuff on the on in the closet, and then the fellow that cut threatened to cut his dick off. Well, Frank cuts that guy's throat. They should edit in one of his like laugh reacts right there at the end. Yes, they <laughs> like just a, a little levity. It got real rote there, didn't it? Yeah, like a little bit. I don't know. Cut this is like the crescendo. Yeah, it's starting to. It's it's, it's gonna. It's all coming together. Wind down, yeah. Cut back to Joe's house. Jennifer is demonstrating her diving technique. Nice. Uh, this is really an excuse to show a shot from behind with her wearing a thong. Yeah. But it looks like she's going to make this really elaborate dive, and then she just kind of bloop into the pool. No splash. No splash. <laughs> they were on the beach. Now they're making out in a pool, so they don't hear the phone when Frank calls to try to warn them. Then Jennifer's hungry, so they head inside. While all this is happening over at Peggy's house, Yamashita and his goons have are sneaking around watching through the kitchen windows like three guys with their heads pressed up against the window staring in at her no wait three guys in jackets one of them's a leather jacket in la heat one of them's carrying a giant ninja sword yes yeah no well they sneak around to check other windows they finally find a window that's open and they sneak in the house as they come up on her in the kitchen she beats them down before two goons uh, managed to get her. They hold her down on the counter while Yamashita has a skillet full of hot cooking oil, and he <laughs> pours it on her exposed belly until she gives up Joe's address. See, that wasn't hard. And then he just dumps the rest of the oil on. That is such a fucking like, like cartoon bad guy. Like he should be like, right. like twisting a fucking mustache as he does that shit. You know? Exactly. Exactly. Like, usually when you want to write, like, a really good villain, you can make them compelling, you know? You give them, like, something like you could kind of, like, you know, see them on, through their own eyes and shit. Yeah. This is, like, totally flat, evil cartoon villain, take no prisoners, right. just doing evil shit. But, yeah. Just being evil because I'm evil. I'm so evil, look at my big jaw. Yes. Giggity, giggity. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Back at Joe's house, Jennifer, he has a birthday cake for Jennifer, and he's singing happy birthday to her, and then they make out because, oh, yeah. of course. Because that wasn't her birthday. She just said that shit because she... Who goes to church on their birthday? Right. No, she wanted to say all that shit so she could get out of a date, and so this motherfucker came loaded for full. He had the cake, the birthday, uh, the fucking church, the matching thong. Yep. This guy's pretty smooth, man. Then he picks her up and carries her to the bedroom, and they make out on the bed in one of the longest not-actually-sex scenes in this movie. It goes on it's, forever. Yeah, no, it's just uh, fingers on back fat. That's all it is. Yeah. Maybe, you know, smooches, and then back to the fat, just rubbing each other's backs. Yep. Very yep. uncomfortable. It's like a massage commercial. You ever seen those? Yep. Frank is still trying to call Joe. Joe answers this time, and Frank warns him that the gang is coming for him. Outside, Yamashita and his goons have arrived. Joe and Jennifer get dressed and sneak out the back, where Joe shoots one of the goons, causing him to do a backward somersault off the diving board into the pool, and that was a better dive than Jennifer's was. That was impressive. 
<laughs> and he had no splash as well. And he, he was like in, in, in full clothes and she was like in a skimpy uh, two piece. So exactly. Hats off to the stunt man. And a shootout begins Star Wars style. And by that, I mean, nobody can hit anything that they're shooting. At. No, the bad guys can't hit. The good guys hit uh, when they get like three feet away. And this isn't like your typical cop drama shootout where they're just bap, bap, bap around the corner real sneaky. No, they got to jump out into full view from that corner, take their shot, and then jump back behind cover. Yeah, no, nah, this is like if you ever played the arcade game Lethal Enforcers, this is that game. Yes, yeah. Down to the music, the, the van chase where you're shooting guys out of the van. This is all that. This is pretty much that into a movie. Joe and Jennifer manage to make it to a car and drive away. The next thing we see is Jennifer at the office talking to her mom. It turns out Fujiyama is pissed because he had a birthday party all planned for her and she didn't even <laughs> show up. But she doesn't care because she's in love. And when she says that, of course, camera cuts to the doorway and there stands Fujiyama. He heard the whole thing. The captain... Back at the police station, Captain is chewing out Joe and Frank. He orders them to kill all of the Japanese gang members, and then the three of them will all turn in their badges and quit the police force. So earlier in the week, yeah, earlier in the week is you've been here for a week and you've killed too many people, and fuck you guys, and my my ass hurts. Yes. And now it's like we're just gonna fucking. Um, Paul Kersey, this whole fucking town, and then turn in our badges and like go. You fishing. know what? We're we're in too deep. We might as well mm -hmm. go all the way. Yeah, all in. Thanks, Kevin. <laughs> At Fujiyama's place, Joe climbs the fence while Frank crawls under the fence because also he's an undercover uh, cop. Yeah, when he says that <laughs> shit, Frank Frank looks right in the camera and like I can't believe I'm in the fucking movie. <laughs> he does. He's smiling and shit. He's like. Because I'm on the cover cop. And he looks at the camera and like, can you believe I got away with this shit? <laughs> Big ass shit eating grin on his face too, man. They sneak up to the house and then start shooting guards. The, um, this is the shootout at the compound. Some shot with the wig. Some of it shot without the wig. Yeah. Also, it's like like a, a police training uh, facility. The guys pop out in a uh, target pose. Yeah. Shot, go ah, and then fall back into where they just jumped out of. Yes. Joe and Frank search the house. Uh, they find Fujiyama. He has Jennifer as a hostage, and he says he just wants to get out of the country. Joe agrees to drop his gun if Fujiyama will let Jennifer go. Frank reluctantly disarms, and that's when Fujiyama shoots Frank. But Frank isn't dead. Even better... Frank fell on top of his own gun, which he uses to shoot Fujiyama. How is Frank not dead? Frank had the sense to put on a bulletproof vest before they went into the shootout. He's the only one. The only one ever. Everybody else is like raw dogging it. Like, that's why, like, yeah, all the henchmen, they never put on a vest. No. Samurai didn't put on a vest. Frank's got like nine of them in his closet. Well, Joe needs to take care of Yamashita next. We see Joe and Frank sneaking into Yamashita's place. They surprise a guy who just happens to be standing in the jungle with a katana. 
it's a jungle, but it's actually like a golf course. All these action movies end yeah. up on a golf course somewhere in like Palm Springs or some shit. I mean, I said in the jungle. He was standing between two palm trees. Yeah. Joe is going to fight the guy unarmed, so Frank just pulls out a gun and shoots him, Indiana Jones style. Again, with the Indiana Jones thing. Yep. And this actually kicks off the whole shootout. We see one henchman climbing up on the roof. Another one knocks down a piece of painted plywood that was just propped up in a door that they had opened. It's not like the door was missing. The door was open, and they put the plywood over it. It's his big reveal. It's his big reveal, yeah. Female henchwoman is also here. Yay. Hell yeah. I've been waiting for her to come out. Yamashita, and we've already established that this is a big man, drives up in a Suzuki sidekick, which is the tiny clown car version of a Geo Tracker. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Frank is inside, apparently. And so these guys are outside shooting out the the one pane in this one window. I think they got permission to shoot one window with a BB gun. Well, that's where they put all the squibs at was on that one window. So, yeah, they take that window window out. They take the window out, they put in a fake window, and then they squib the hell out of it. And then once they're (laughs) filming, they put the old window back in and they clean up their mess. Yeah. Well, Yamashita challenges Joe to a sword fight, even gives him a sword. Nice. Female henchwoman, by the way, she had a submachine gun, fired off three shots, and had to reload, and that's when Frank killed her. Yeah. Bad guys always jam their weapons, you ever know that? Always. In the movies, like, yeah. Well, Joe is down for the sword fight, but there's another henchman who's going to sneak attack Joe. He just happens to get into position right next to Frank, and so Frank shoots him. Like Clint Eastwood style, like, just cold, and it, like, zooms yep. in on his face, like, yeah. <laughs> now, Matt Caradus does not know how to use a sword, but he does know how to pug, how to pose with his taking a dump face. And he does a lot of it here. Yeah. And like I said, the fight choreography is super choppy because they would shoot like a five-second sequence and cut and then work out the next five-second sequence and shoot that. Part of the fight is pre-wig, part of it post-wig. So we'll see them fighting with their swords and then it cuts to a different angle and he's got the wig on again. Yeah, he'll be doing, like, badass and shit, and then all of a sudden cut to him with the wig and his ass kicked. <laughs> Joe beats Yamashita down, and they go back to swords. Joe manages to disarm Yamashita and himself, so they go back to fists. Yamashita is finally beaten, and he tells Joe to kill him, and it looks like Joe's about to, but Frank says, Joe, you're a cop. Yeah. So Joe throws the sword down and walks away. But that's not cool. So Yamashita reaches into his boot and pulls out the knife he had there all along that he could have used. And instead of going after Joe, he decides to die with honor and uses the knife to kill himself while Joe and Frank watch. Reddled seppuku. Yep. Cut to Joe and Jennifer back on the beach in their matching bikinis making out on a rock and roll credit. Play that. Funky 80 synth music. Man, I made it through the whole movie, Jesse. <laughs> it's well, like an hour and 30 minutes. That's like one episode of Columbo. Yeah. And what what's weird about this movie, if, you, if you're not a big fan of like shit movies, is it 
seems like it's going by extremely fast, but also it's taking forever to go. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Yeah. The the style and like the cinematography is really fast, really, but it it's just it's a bunch of sound and fury, and there's not much. Yeah, going it's just on. not going anywhere. It takes a while to get through it. Yeah. Thank God for cultural misunderstandings <laughs> and bad editing, because <laughs> it saved this movie and made it a a dear classic in my heart. And sorry, I made you watch it. Uh, my bad. I mean. No, it's what we're here for, man. Oh, yeah. (laughs) All right, man, I think that's a podcast. Hell yeah. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. We had a lot of fun making it. Be sure to subscribe and leave a rating wherever you hear us. You can follow CDF Pod on Facebook and Instagram or at CDF underscore pod on Twitter. You can also visit our website at CDFPod.com. And don't forget you can help us make donations to film schools all across the country by going to Patreon.com slash CDF Pod. Join us next time as we explore another movie so awesome it probably shouldn't have been made.